Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Sam, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop, and it's overall title is Going the Distance, Thriving and Surviving with Chronic Myelogenous Leukemia, or CML. And today is part two of this four-part series, and today's program topic is Sharing Responsibility for Your Care. And today's program is a collaborative effort, as this entire effort is, with a number of other cancer organizations. And it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. Now, we have on the call today over 540 participants, and you come from all over the United States. Um, from all different regions and areas of this country. And we also have international participants from Australia, Brazil, Canada, and the United Kingdom. So you really come from all over the world. And uh, this program was made possible by Bristol-Myers Squibb, Teva Oncology, and Ariad Pharmaceuticals, Inc. And I really want to thank them for their support of this program today. Now, I'd like to turn your attention for a moment to all the materials you received in the mail. Um, or they received from Cancer Care, either by email or mail. And um, in those materials, there is information about our speakers and the topics they'll be addressing. And there also is information about all the different collaborating organizations as a resource for all of you um, to have to access for additional help. There is an evaluation form, and I would ask you each to take a moment at the end of today's program and complete that evaluation form. When you think about it, who but each of you can best tell us the programs you would like us to offer going forward. Uh, we're at the beginning of a, a new year, and we're planning lots of programs, and indeed, your suggestions could not be more timely. Indeed, this particular whole series, this four-part series, is one that many of you have requested, and so we have worked really hard to offer it for you. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Ruben Messa. And Dr. Messer is consultant hematologist, Mayo Clinic in Arizona, Chair, Division of Hematology and Medical Oncology. He's also Deputy Director, Mayo Clinic Cancer Center, Professor of Medicine. And Dr. Messer is going to address an overview of current treatments for CML, new treatment approaches and clinical trials, the important role of adherence, and communicating with your healthcare team, including your pharmacist. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Messer. Well, Carolyn, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on the call today and having participated with these educational series in the past. Yeah, this is a, a very nice opportunity to, to, to gather uh, some folks to talk about some issues that sometimes aren't able to be fully explained in the course of a doctor's visit and hopefully will provide some, some complimentary information. So first, let's talk a little bit before we delve into the issue of treatment of chronic myeloid leukemia. First of all, what is chronic myeloid leukemia? Obviously, everyone who is dialed in today is being affected by this disease in one way or the other, either yourself or a loved one. So what is this, this disease? Well, the leukemias are literally a type of cancer of the blood, meaning that the bone marrow is making, which makes the blood, is making cells that it should not be making. And that's why it is a relative of other cancers, like breast cancer or prostate cancer or other types of cancers. Now, that being said, the cancers of the blood can behave in many different ways. So first, let's pull up out 
part of that term leukemia. When people hear leukemia, it typically causes a lot of anxiety. Uh, and typically what people actually are thinking about is what we call acute leukemia. There are both acute leukemias and chronic leukemias, and both are important in terms of CML. In acute leukemia, you can imagine that the bone marrow, which makes all of our blood, the blood and the blood counts that you see on your blood tests when you receive them from your doctor, the red blood cells that carry oxygen from our lungs to the rest of the body, the white blood cells that fight infections, the platelets. In acute leukemia, it's as if the assembly line for making those cells stops functioning. And with that, in acute leukemia, the blood counts are very low, and they are risky diseases or difficult diseases uh, and life-threatening diseases because of that, because of the blood counts being low. Now, there probably are 10 to 15 types of different types of acute leukemias, so they're not all the same. Additionally, there are probably up to 40 different types of chronic leukemias, of which chronic myeloid leukemia is a very specific one. In, a chronic my in the chronic leukemias, there is both an impact on how that assembly line for making the blood works. Typically, there can be production of either too many blood cells or too few. And there is a risk as a chronic leukemia that it can change to an acute leukemia. Now, why do people get chronic myeloid leukemia? Well, this very specific chronic leukemia is one where we typically see individuals have an increase in their white blood cell count. That's how the disease is affecting their bone marrow is they're making too many white blood cells. Sometimes there's too many platelets as well. With this, there can be uh, the change in the blood counts. Sometimes there are symptoms. People can feel fatigued. They might have an enlargement in the spleen. It's a disease that really has three phases. There's the chronic phase that most people start off with with the disease, where their blood counts are increased and maybe they have some symptoms or enlargement of their spleen. There is an accelerated phase that is increasingly, unfortunately, less common, that is a more aggressive phase moving towards an acute leukemia. And there is the acute leukemia form of chronic myeloid leukemia, or what we call blast phase. Now, this is a disease that in many ways has been one of the diseases that we now understand best in the cancer world. And, and because of that understanding, we now have developed many very useful treatments. Now, with this disease, it was found a little over 50 years ago that there's a very specific genetic change that leads to this disease. That genetic change is what they called 60 years ago when it was described in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia chromosome, a change in the genetic material of the cells in people who have CML. Over time, we have figured out that that genetic change, or you might see on your results, a translocation between the 9th and 22nd chromosome leads to the development of a new protein that is called BCR able. And that protein is not present in normal cells, but is present in CML. So prior to 2001, this was a disease where we used chemotherapy or interferon to try to lower the white blood cell count. And prior to 2001, in people that had this disease, we feared that they all would eventually progress to acute leukemia. And for many individuals, we treated the disease 
either with chemotherapy that extended life but did not cure the disease, or in those that were young and strong and healthy enough, we could consider bone marrow transplant. Bone marrow transplant being a therapy that can treat the disease, but not necessarily get rid of the disease. Now, it was in that arena that Dr. Drucker and other colleagues in hematology, the very famous hematologist from Oregon, helped discover a new medicine that specifically looked to block this protein called BCR-ABL in chronic leukemia cells. It was a protein that was not present in normal cells, and it was a drug, it was a pill, and that medicine is what we call imatinib or Gleevec. And that medicine that was developed after the time I had trained as a hematologist really made a gargantuan difference over where we had been before, where we saw that this drug could help to put the disease into a remission, a remission meaning that we could not see evidence of the disease. The blood counts normalized and that the disease could be suppressed. And when we went to measure the levels of this protein as a sign of the leukemia, we saw that the protein levels would go down over time, and even in some individuals, the protein would disappear altogether. Now, that was a very good drug. It made a huge difference, and it still is used by many people around the world. Now, what we learned is that that drug helps many people with CML, but it does not help everyone with CML. So it helps about 60 to 70% of people with chronic phase CML and helps a much smaller percentage of people who have more advanced disease with accelerated phase chronic myeloid leukemia or acute leukemia. Also, there were people who had side effects with the drug. It could cause swelling. It could cause uh, muscle aches. It might cause other changes in blood counts where we could not continue the drug. So with that, there was a great interest to see could we make even stronger drugs against the disease. And then there were two additional drugs that were then tested and approved as second-line treatment to be used if imatinib failed. And those two drugs were nilotinib, or what we call Tisigna by its trade name, and Desadnib, or what is called Spriso by its trade name. And both of these drugs first were approved to use in people who had been on Gleevec and it failed. And secondly, they, have, they did randomized studies subsequently that compared them to Gleevec in people treated uh, who have not had any treatment and found them to be more effective. Now, over the past year, we've had three additional drugs that I won't go into great depth that have additionally been approved for people who have not uh, responded well to one of these prior therapies. The first drug is called panatinib, uh, or it's called Eclusig is the trade name, and it's approved for people who've been resistant or intolerant to these prior therapies, or who have a very specific genetic change called the T315I, a genetic change that can make people resistant to the therapies. Next, there is another drug that's another pill called bosutinib, and it's also approved for people who are resistant or intolerant to the other drugs. Finally, there is a sixth drug that uh, is for individuals who have previously failed two prior therapies for CML. Now, these really constitute the new treatment approaches. Now, as people are on 
treatment with one of these agents, what, what is it that we expect? Well, your doctor picks a treatment, and typically one of those first-line treatments is Gleevec, nilotinib, or Dasatinib. Then they first see, does the drug help to bring your white blood cell count down to the normal range? Next, and during this whole process, they're making sure that the drug is not giving you any side effects that are affecting you in any significant way. They then monitor downstream several months, six months to a year. They repeat a bone marrow biopsy and see whether the chromosome changes that you had with the disease have gone away, and they also follow the levels of the protein in the blood. Over time then, assuming all of those things go as they should, they monitor the levels of the protein in the blood to see that go down to a very low level, typically way less than 1% of where those protein levels began. And they monitor over time, one year, two years, three years, four years, or now in some people, uh, many more than that. They monitor one, other protein levels remain low, Two, does your white blood cell count remain normal? And three, that there is no issue of the disease progressing. Because why these treatments are so important is that, one, they suppress the disease, but two, they keep the disease from becoming a worse disease, from accelerating to accelerated or the blast phase. And indeed, it's the tight control of the disease that we have found to be so important. Now, one of the challenges we found with these treatments is they're incredibly effective, but in general, they all have some mild side effects. And with this, over time, the side effects, whether it be challenges in terms of meeting the co-pays for the medicines or side effects in terms of how people feel, it can make it challenging for people to, to keep up and take every pill that they should be taking with the medicine. And what we found over time is that really sticking to the, the schedule that, of the medicine that your doctor prescribes is absolutely crucial because this is a disease that we've had a tremendous amount of improvement with. But if people progress to accelerated or blast phase, it unfortunately is still very much of a life-threatening disease. In the chronic phase, well suppressed with treatment, it is a disease that we believe in some we might be able to suppress perhaps even forever. But if it progresses, uh, it becomes a much, much more difficult disease. Now, everything I've shared with you is, is a very complicated process. Why do I have the disease? How was it that it started? The medicines, what do I expect from it? And what is it the doctor is really monitoring? Because it is a disease that in many ways is a silent disease. When people have this disease and they first see their doctor, their healthcare provider, it's a silent disease. Many of them didn't even realize they had something like this. So to be told you have something very serious, to be told that you have to be on these medicines that are expensive and may, uh, may have some side effects, it is a very difficult thing uh, to swallow. It's a difficult thing to accept, and I'm incredibly sympathetic to that. And part of the reason for this call, I think, today is really to help kind of delve into some of these issues you know, in terms of helping overcome some of these things. But because of all of these issues, I think it's incredibly important that we have a very clear discussion with your entire team, including the nurse at the practice, your physician, and the pharmacist. The pharmacist in terms of am I taking the right medicine, am I taking the right dose, and am I not having any 
interactions of the medicine that I take with perhaps other medicines that I take. The nurse at the practice in terms of how you feel, monitoring blood counts and the monitoring. And the discussion with your physician in terms of, boy, what do I really expect? Where do I stand with the disease? Uh, and is the, is the therapy doing everything that it should be doing for me that, uh, that it should be? Now, where do we move in the future? Well, over these past, let's say, 12 years, we've had an unbelievable amount of advances in CML. And what we look to as a field in hematology that study chronic myeloid leukemia is we hope in the future we will find a way to be able to finish getting rid of the disease or eradicating the disease altogether. There are some individuals that have had incredibly good responses to one of these therapies, Gleevec, nilotinib, or disadinib, who after many years of being in a complete remission have successfully been able to come off of the medicine. We're not sure who these individuals are yet. We are trying to study whether the disease is truly gone in these individuals or whether the immune system has suppressed it. But there, we do hold out hope that we may be able to have a time limit on the therapy for some individuals or that we might find other ways when the disease is in its very weakest form, let's say that it's suppressed for a long period of time, that we may be able to come in with other therapies and eradicate the disease. So I'll leave and conclude this portion of the talk, and I'll be around for questions later, really discussing that this is a disease that we've had a tremendous uh, amount of understanding as to what causes the disease, a great understanding and development of now six FDA-approved therapies for the disease, all of which are incredibly effective, and some fairly uh, useful and helpful guidelines that physicians have in terms of which of these medicines to use when, and how to monitor response and side effects. And with this, I'll hand the call back to, to Carolyn. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Ness. I've had just a wonderful introduction to this call and also for reviewing, very informatively in reviewing the um, treatment for um, CML and um, all of the new treatments that, are, that have now been approved and the importance of really uh, following, um, taking one's uh, medications and working with the team. So thank you for covering all those important points, and I know there'll be lots of questions for you during the Q&A. Um, our next speaker is Dr. Lisa Thompson, and Dr. Thompson is a pharmacist. She's assistant professor, Department of Clinical Pharmacy, University of Colorado Skagg School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. And Dr. Thompson is going to address barriers to taking your pills, practical tips to overcome these barriers or planning ahead, and also lead time in refilling prescriptions, vacations, holidays, travel, including through different time zones and weekends. And she's also going to address tips for low vision. And I'm now it's my pleasure to turn the program over to Dr. Thompson. Thank you. Um, I think Dr. Mesa did a great job of discussing how important it is to stay on schedule um, and take um, your CML medications as they're prescribed by your doctor. And I want to discuss some ways that can make it a little easier, a little bit easier to do that for the long haul. Um, one thing that helps quite a bit is uh, trying to consolidate the times that you take your medicines. Um, I think it's hard whenever you have to take a medicine once three times a day, once two times a day, um, take these with food or these without food. So one thing you can do to help quite a bit is chat with your doctor or with your pharmacist and find out what medicines you can take together at the same time. Um, you know, with food or without food, that kind of thing, and try to minimize the number of times a day you have to remember to take a medicine, especially if you're taking medicines for other things. 
Um, some other things that are helpful too are to keep everything that you need to take a medicine nearby. So if it's something that you need to have food with, such as a snack, keep a few prepared snacks nearby so that it's not an extra step to have to find food to take with your medicine, for example. Um, a couple of other things that, that can help as well um, are trying to keep other things around. So if you need measuring cups for liquid medicines, that kind of thing, keep those nearby. Um, as well as setting a timer sometimes is the best thing to do. So if you have a phone with an alarm on it or you can program something into your calendar to go off at the time of day you need to take a medicine, that can help quite a bit to remember um, to take your medicine on schedule. Um, I think planning ahead is also really important when you're trying to refill your uh, CML medicine. Some pharmacies don't routinely stock these medicines and a lot of insurance companies are requiring people to do these via a mail order where you send the prescription away and then it takes some time and then they mail it back to you in the mail. So it's important to stay on top of these and not wait until you're out or almost out before requesting a refill. Um, it can sometimes take four days to a week depending on if you're using a mail order pharmacy to get your medicines to you. So just make sure to keep that in mind when you're thinking of one you need to send away for a refill from the pharmacy. It's usually best to give at least a one week notice. Um, related to that, um, if you do need more refills from your doctor or a new prescription for your mail order, for example, um, also give them a little bit of lead time in case they're out of town or if they need to order a lab test or have you uh, come by for a visit before they send in more refills for the medicine. I also want to talk a little bit about planning ahead for travel. It's almost summer here in the U.S. and a lot of people are planning vacations, trips, um, so when planning your trip, also include planning ahead for your medicine um, whenever you're um, getting everything together. So make sure you have extra medicine to, uh, with you to last for at least a few days to an extra week beyond your trip in case your flight gets delayed um, or some other circumstances delay your return to your hometown where your pharmacy is. If you're traveling by car, be sure to keep your medicine at the right temperature. So don't leave your medicine in the car or in the glove compartment. Even if you think you're only going to be gone for a few minutes, cars can heat up really quickly in the summer. And some medicines can melt um, or they can be damaged as well by the heat and then not work as well. I usually suggest keeping your medicine in a purse or another small bag that you'll be carrying with you. Um, that way you're not leaving it in the car and getting unexpectedly delayed. If you're traveling by plane, be sure to keep your medicine with you in your carry-on bag. Checked baggage can get exposed to really high and cold temperatures during the flight, and this can also damage the medication and how well it may work for you. Um, Checked baggage is also a lot more likely to be lost um, and isn't going to be accessible if your flight gets delayed on the runway, for instance. So keeping it in your carry-on ensures that you'll have your medicine with you when you need it for a dose of those. If you use a pill organizer at home to help keep track of your medicines and when to take them, um, make sure to hang on to the original labeled bottle from the pharmacy, especially if you're going to be traveling. That label has a lot of important information like who your doctor is, that the medicine is for you and not for someone else, and also identifies what the medicine is. And this can be especially important when you're traveling internationally. If you're planning to leave the country, make sure to have a copy of your prescription with you. Ask your doctor to write the prescription using the generic name, that's the one that usually ends in nib, um, since the brand names can be different in other countries and you want to make sure it's really clear what medicine it is that you're taking. It can also be helpful to have a note from your doctor, sometimes a recent visit summary, for example, or another note just stating that you're prescribed this medicine and you need to take it every day. And that can help sometimes make going through customs in a foreign country a little bit more easy.
and especially when traveling internationally, it's very important to have extra medicine with you to get you beyond and past the time that you would normally um, need a refill since certain medicines are not available in all countries. Related to that, our vacation plans don't always line up with whenever we've last filled our prescriptions. Um, one thing that I don't think um, is really publicized very well are that a lot of times your pharmacy can do what's called a vacation override with your insurance company. So while it might be too early to get your medicine filled normally, um, if they submit this override for a one-time only vacation um, circumstance, they can get you your next month's supply filled early to you, um, and usually it's at your normal copay. They can't do this every month, but they can do it here and there. Um, for your CML medications to help make it a little easier to plan ahead and to have that extra medicine with you when you're traveling. As you know, and as Dr. Messa mentioned, it's really important to take your medicine at a similar time each day. And when you're traveling across multiple time zones, this can get really different, difficult um, with the time zone changes and trying to do the math and think of when would be about 24 hours later. So if you're planning a trip that crosses over more than one time zone, be sure to chat with your doctor or pharmacist before you leave about how to time your medicine. Because depending on how far away you're traveling, how many time zones you're crossing, and how long you plan to be gone, um, they can recommend to you specifically um, when would be best to take your medicine and how to best do that while you're traveling. One other thing that happens when you're traveling that I think can make it kind of difficult to remember to take your pills on schedule um, is a change in routine. So if you're in the ha habit of taking your medicine uh, when you do certain activities, like before you leave for work in the morning or when you're watching the evening news, um, you might be more likely to miss a dose um, when you're on vacation and not in your normal routine. I know I always miss more doses of my medicines when I'm out of my routine. Um, one thing that is really helpful and has helped me a lot is to set an alarm to go off at the time that I should be taking my medicine to remind me that, yes, it's time to take it. Even though I'm not watching the news or getting ready to leave for work or whatever is normal for me, it's still reminding me to take it at the right time, so I'm still um, consistently taking my medicine. The next thing I want to talk about are some things that can be helpful when um, you have problems seeing the labels on prescription bottles. As we know, um, the type on some of those labels can be pretty small. And some medicines look quite a bit alike. It's hard to identify them just by looking at the pill. So I want to talk about a few things that um, you can do, your pharmacist can do, or your caregivers can help you with um, to help um, if you do have problems seeing your medicines. The first thing to do is ask your pharmacist to identify the medicine when you pick it up, especially if you're getting multiple bottles. Um, one thing that can also be helpful is if you have a marker or if they can for you, go ahead and make a note on the, on the top of the bottle in a large print of what medicine it is. So, um, for example, if you're taking a matinib or Gleevec, they could put a large G on top of the lid to remind you that that's the one that that is and it's not a different pill. Um, pill organizers can also be really helpful um, if you have problems seeing and reading all the bottles uh, you get from the pharmacy. Um, a caregiver or a loved one can help out with this, and even some pharmacies will do this um, for you if you get your medicines filled there. Uh, so go ahead and ask the pharmacist what they recommend. There are also some newer pill organizers that have um, alarms that go off, for example, when it's time to take a medicine to help remind you of that. If you do have problems seeing, um, let your pharmacist know, because a lot of pharmacies now can use larger print 
um, on your medication bottle, or they can put the medicines in a different shape bottle. So, you know, the large bottle is this medicine, a smaller bottle is a different one, and help you tell the part more easily without having to read the font that's on the bottle. Um, also, be sure to talk to your um, doctor about services that are in your area. For example, an occupational therapist can have some really useful tips for ways to manage low vision relating to your medicines, relating to other things that you need to do around the house and get done in your day. Um, and then lastly, um, before I close, um, I just want to remind you about keeping an up-to-date list of all the medicines you take. Um, that's including any vitamins, any supplements, or any herbs or over-the-counter medicines, as well as your CML medicine. Um, keep a complete copy of this list, so including the name of the medicine, the dose of the medicine, how you take it, so how many pills you take for a dose and how many times a day you take it, um, as well as what the medicine's for. And keep a copy of that list in your purse or your wallet and keep another one at home or with another loved one. Make sure your family members and people helping you with your medicine have a copy of the list or that they know where to find the list. And take a copy with you every time you see your doctor, your dentist, your eye doctor, your pharmacist, anyone that's involved in your health care, um, to loop them in so that they know what medicines you're taking and to avoid any interactions, and also to help keep track of any changes that happen to your list. Some prescription medicines or even some over-the-counter medicines for things like heartburn, for example, can affect how much of your CML drug you absorb and how well it works for you. So it's really important that all your doctors, um, everyone helping with your medical care, and that your pharmacist, too, knows about your CML medicine. Um, and with that, I want to thank you so much um, for tuning in today, and I'll turn it back over to you, Carolyn. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Thompson. That was really a wonderful presentation, and you gave us a lot of tips. I don't think many people do know about the vacation override or the different size pill containers, all the things that you mentioned, um, really uh, the things for low vision, uh, just a lot of very practical tips for people to know and to plan ahead about um, that really makes such a big difference and often get people into so much difficulty. So thank you so much. I, I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, just really excellent. Um, and um, our next speaker is Glenn Muche, and Glenn is an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, and he is going to, um, he is actually our oncology social work uh, coordinator at Cancer Care, um, and he is going to review with you the free psychosocial services offered by Cancer Care, as well as the role of support groups. It's my pleasure to turn the program over to my colleague, uh, Glenn Muche. Thank you, Carolyn. I would also like to thank everyone who participated in Cancer Care's Connect Education Workshop. In closing, I would like to speak briefly about the services that Cancer Care provides. Living with CML can present a variety of challenges to us, which may feel overwhelming at times and impact our quality of life. We may discover ourselves faced with many questions surrounding our illness and the decisions that have to be made in terms of our treatment and continued care. Um, you may even find it exceedingly difficult to navigate the complexity of the health care system and network. Uh, sometimes we may not even know where to begin or who to ask for, uh, for help and support. Uh, you are not alone, though, and help is available. Um, a cancer care social worker can help you sort through the myriad of issues uh, that may surround your cancer diagnosis and treatment. Um, an oncology social worker can address any concerns you may harbor uh, pertaining to your quality of life during this period. 
Uh, social workers can offer tips and suggestions, for instance, that would help you open doors and effectively communicate your needs to your medical team as it relates to your continued care. Uh, cancer care social workers can also direct you to additional supportive resources that may help foster your continued ability to cope with the cancer experience. Um, the emotional component and face of a cancer diagnosis can frequently leave us feeling confused and experiencing a wide range of feelings. I really just would like to underscore uh, that living with an illness that is chronic and simultaneously uncertain can certainly exacerbate uh, these feelings of confusion and uh, even anxiety at times because uh, we sometimes don't know what may be happening or laying and wait for us around the corner. I cannot underestimate, therefore, the significance of individual counseling and support groups. Uh, Cancer Care offers free individual counseling and support by professional oncology social workers, <coughs> excuse me, who can walk with you and provide a listening ear. Um, individual counseling and support, either on the telephone or face-to-face, -face, will give you an opportunity to talk about your feelings and process what you may be experiencing. Through individual counseling and support, you will ensure your continued capacity to cope and may perhaps even learn new coping strategies to help you adjust to the many twists and turns of the cancer experience. The social interaction offered by support groups can help diminish feelings of isolation and strengthen our ability to cope. Support groups provide a safe and supportive environment where we not only can share our story and experiences with others, but learn from those who may be experiencing similar feelings, fears, and concerns as well. Uh, support groups afford us a space where we can speak about our diagnosis, care, and the array of emotions we may be experiencing at this time. In Cancer Care's online, telephone, and face-to-face -face support groups, people can receive emotional support, insight, and camaraderie. Cancer Care support groups are offered to patients, family members, and friends, caregivers, survivors, and the bereaved. I don't want to, uh, I want to recognize rather the financial aspect of living with a chronic illness. Um, a chronic uh, cancer diagnosis can certainly present its economic burden as well. Um, financial assistance is available um, at Cancer Care. Uh, cancer Care can help reduce uh, the expenses associated with things such as transportation to and from treatment, home care, child care, and in some instances for pain medications or other medications related to your continued care and treatment. Uh, in addition, cancer care, a cancer care social worker can also direct you to other resources in the community that may offer financial assistance. Uh, some of these um, that offer financial assistance, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, for instance, has a copay assistance program. Um, and you could go to their website, which is www.lls.org slash copay. 
uh, Patient Services, Inc., I-N-C., is another organization that might be able to address the financial burden of living with a chronic illness. Uh, their website is www.un, as in Nancy, E-E-D, P as in Peter, S as in Sam, I, dot org. And also, too, the uh, Patient Access Network Foundation may be another resource. Uh, and that website is www. and this is one word, patientaccessnetwork.org. There are other uh, resources as well. Uh, in reaching out to a cancer care social worker, uh, we could talk to you about our financial assistance, but also direct you to other resources as well. So I'm going to turn the program over back to Carolyn now. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Glenn, for really presenting all the services and the support people can access from Cancer Care. Also, to speaking to the emotional challenges of living with CML and also just the practical issues as well in terms of financial concerns. So really, thank you for doing that kind of comprehensive view here. I very much appreciate that. And, um, and now we do have time for questions. I'm going to ask Sam to bring all of our speakers on board and to really explain to all of you how to queue up for questions, both on the telephone and online. And um, I'm going to leave that for Sam. She's really good at this, and she'll explain to you how to queue up. And we'll take as many of your questions as possible. If we do not get to your question, please call us at Cancer Care at the end of the call at 1-800-813-4673. And I'll repeat that, but we're going to try to take as many right now as we can. Sam? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit a question by clicking the Ask a Question button. Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, please press star then 1. Our first question comes from Gloria L. Your line is now opened. Yes, I have several questions. I don't know how many you're going to let me ask. <laughs> you know what? Well, that sounds terrific, Gloria. I'm going to take, let me take one. Why don't we do this? Why don't we take two at a time, and then we'll bring you back Okay. that. How's that? So we, that can, remember, so we can remember the questions. So we're talking about remembering to take your pills. We want to be sure that we all get your questions so we can answer them. And so we'll, we'll have you pause for a minute, and then we'll bring you back. We'll just take two for, for to start with, okay? Sounds good. Okay, my first one is uh, I'm on Desantinib. I've been on it for a year, and I want to know about food and herbs in combination with the with taking the CML chemotherapy drugs. Okay. And do you want to give us a second question as well? And the other, the second one, we're going to um, do this. I, I, I is the survival rate. Okay, thank you for those questions, Gloria. And um, I'm going to ask Dr. Messick to address your questions in a general way. And, okay. Um, okay, and uh, so thank you. And, um, and Dr. Messa? So, so in general, uh, the, the first question is one where I typically involve our pharmacists in, in West Lisa to kind of chime in as well. In terms of, you know, I'm not a, a, aware offhand of any major uh, foods that I have people uh, avoid when taking a medicine like Desadnib. Uh, herbs are, are a very heterogeneous group, uh, but I'll ask Lisa to say if there's any in particular that she's aware of they need to be uh, avoided. In general, when it comes to issues, particularly with, with supplements like that, we, we monitor a bit when people are on it 
uh, both the uh, the the response of the drug as well as whether there is any irritation to the rest of the body. You know, particularly uh, tests of the liver uh, can sometimes be ab uh, made abnormal by these by the medications themselves. That could sometimes happen from herbs as well. So we we monitor these things to make sure that there is no uh, difficulty or or interaction. And then the the second question was about survival rates. It really depends on kind of the scenario. Uh, I would say that. In general, if you look at it from the point of view, you know, how many people with CML are living as long as they were expected to live without CML? I would say many, uh, if not most, of those individuals with chronic myeloid leukemia in chronic phase who are uh, treated with therapy, who respond as they're supposed, as we expect them to, and who are highly compliant with the medicine, most of them we expect they will live out uh, their days in however many days that was destined to be, you know. And obviously, you know, your age, other illnesses, many other factors uh, come into play. Uh, but it has had a tremendous impact uh, on, on the survival where it's probably less than 10% of people, if you flip it around, less than 10% of people are passing away from complications from their chronic myeloid leukemia or progressing to uh, acute leukemia, which I had mentioned. And maybe Lisa would make a comment about drug interactions with, with dasatinib or the TKIs in general. Dr. Thompson, could you, thank you very much, Dr. Nessa and Dr. Thompson, did you want to address that, those other topics? Just Absolutely. Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, I think it's something that sometimes you, know, you, you forget about is, will this vitamin or will this supplement or will this food affect how well my medication works? So that's a really great question. Um, I mean, certainly it depends on which medicine you're taking. Some medicines have to be taken with food. Others have to be taken without food. Um, Dasatinib actually is kind of either way that works for you, so that's um, lucky in that situation. It doesn't matter um, as much if you take it with food or without food as long as you do it about the same way every time you take it. Um, one food to keep in mind, though, um, is actually grapefruit products um, and then certain types of oranges, such as Seville, which is spelled S-E-V-I-L-L-E. -L -L -E. um, those types of oranges and grapefruit can actually affect the way that your body breaks down the desatinib, um, so you would potentially be at risk for having more side effects from the desatinib. So um, that, those would be certain foods in particular to avoid, and of course that's different with every medication. Um, in general, always ask your doctor or pharmacist about whether or not grapefruit's okay, because that's a food that has a lot of drug interactions. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is be careful with certain calcium supplements and with certain multivitamins. Um, some of those need to be spaced out um, by a couple of hours from whenever you take your CML medicine. So just check with your pharmacist to make sure your calcium supplement or your multivitamin is okay to take at the same time or if it needs to be spaced out. And, and uh, Dr. Thompson, sometimes people are taking medicines for other uh, actually chronic conditions. Actually, there's, a, there's actually an online question about that. Um, so if someone has... Um, diabetes or hypertension, they're taking other medicines. And so how does that work in terms of the interaction? And if you could address that as well. Absolutely. And that's where keeping that detailed medicine list can be so important um, because 
you know, I mean, how many doctors do most of us see in a given year? You probably see, you know, different doctors for different things. It's one doctor taking care of the diabetes. It might be another doctor looking at your heart. Um, and then your CML doctor is a third and separate person. So sometimes communication doesn't work quite as well as we want it to. So that's where keeping that detailed list of medicines can be so important because not all medicines play nicely together. There are some interactions and some medicines you would want to avoid um, with certain CML medicines. So I would certainly make sure every doctor you see knows about it. And even if you do get your prescriptions through mail order, make sure your local pharmacist knows your complete medicine list so they can make sure to review all of them for any uh, drug interactions. Well, thank you. Um, there's another question from one of our online participants um, from Joseph. I like the idea of setting up reminders to take my pills. What are a few ways to set reminders to take my pills on time that you recommend? Dr. Thompson, do you want to address that? Yeah, I'm happy to. So I think that kind of depends on wor what works for you. Um, you know, I put a daily reminder in my cell phone that goes off at 7 o'clock every night, and that's what reminds me to take my evening dose of a medication. Um, sometimes if you use, like, an electronic calendar, for example, you can have it pop up with a reminder that tells you, you know, which medicine you need to take, and you can set it up so that it reoccurs on every given day. Um, for other people, you know, sometimes having a written calendar works best. Um, or maybe even doing something like putting your medicine, you know, if you take it with your evening meal, put your medicine in the cabinet near where you um, keep things that you would access for your evening meal so that you're reminded when you see it um, to take that. So I think at the end of the day, it's really what works best for you. Um, I think as more people have cell phones, it gets easier to set up those, you know, daily. It goes off at the same time every day. It reminds me to take it kind of reminders. Um, but certainly whatever works best for you or, you know, if you have a loved one that can help you set that up, if you're not quite as tech savvy, then that would probably be helpful too. And we have another um, online question from Diana, and, it's, and the question is, do you recommend exploring electronic adherence tools like iPhone apps? Could you say a little bit about that? I don't know how many people here are using iPhone apps for this, but is this a new trend, or could you comment on that, Dr. Thompson? Absolutely. I'm happy to. Um, and as far as the apps go, um, you know, I was kind of wondering, you know, is it worth the cost of the app? How helpful is it? So always make sure to look at reviews and that kind of thing, too, to see how helpful other people have found it. Um, one major cancer organization, um, the American Society of Clinical Oncology, has actually put together a list of some apps that they recommend that they think are more helpful for people. And I don't have that link handy right now, but hopefully if I can email it to the organizers, can that be posted maybe after the conference or later? Oh, yes, and actually I can let everybody know the American Society of Clinical Oncology is a collaborating organization on our teleconferences. So I can give everyone their, um, um, their, um, their web address, uh, www.cancer.net. And I also can give you their telephone number, which is 1-888-651-3038. And it's actually on all the materials you receive from us, both the, all the electronic materials you receive from us. The brochures have that information on them as well. So, um, and we'll also include it when we, follow, when we send follow-up to all of you as well. And um, Dr. Thompson, if there's a more specific um, URL to that particular information, you'll send that to me. <laughs> okay, then, we'll, then we'll include that then in our follow-up to all of you so you can have access to those. That would be really helpful. That's, that's excellent. <laughs> wow, amazing. Um, okay, um, and we have another question, um, and this looks like a question for 
uh, Dr. Messer from one of our online participants from Heather. Um, what does the protein BCR-ABL do in the blood? Why is it a problem? Dr. Messer? It's a good question. The protein is one that basically tells the white blood cells to, to grow when they shouldn't be otherwise. So it really like, is like an on-off switch that is stuck in the on position. I mean, in the body, we control when we make cells very, very tightly, which is why ordinarily our white blood cell count has a very tight normal range. There's normally between 4,000 and 10,000 white blood cells per cubic centimeter of blood. So if you were to think about a uh, blood, a cubic centimeter, there's four to 10,000 cells, and the body controls that very tightly. So that's actually quite a number of cells, although they're very small, in that very small amount of space. So when you have this abnormal protein from the leukemia, it is, you know, like the accelerator stuck on the bottom of the floor, making too many white blood cells. So that's why some people with chronic myeloid leukemia, that might mean that they will make 20,000 white cells, 30,000 white cells, for some people even 300,000 white cells. And the medicines, all of the medicines, in particular, especially except omastotaxine, but five of the six medicines, what they do is they block BCR-ABL. That's what they do. They block it in slightly different ways. Some of them block it a little stronger than others. But that's why they've been as effective as they have been. Uh, and that's why we very specifically monitor the levels of that protein. We also know as we monitor the levels of that protein, that if we don't bring it down to really low levels, then the likelihood of the disease progressing increases. So that's why it's been such a helpful barometer of the effectiveness of treatment, because we know if that protein level isn't going in the right direction, then the disease isn't going in the right direction either. Excellent. Okay, thank you. And uh, we have a question from one of our, again, one of our online uh, participants, um, Jane, and actually it's a question probably um, for Glenn. Um, and the question is in terms of how do I build um, a support network? How do I, how do I get people to help me? Um, what tips can you give regarding building a support network? Glenn, could you kind of address that in a general way? Sure, sure. I, I, I mean, I think first it's really important to be able to identify uh, who your uh, support system would be. Um, you know, it's important to reach out to people, but I think we really have to kind of know uh, to whom we can reach out, who would really understand, you know, what we're experiencing, uh, who can be empathic. Um, so in reaching out for support, my suggestion would be would be to first identify um, who your team is. Um, I always find, and uh, patients, families have always shared with me, that when they began to look at their care within the context and framework of teamwork, um, it, it really worked best for them. So, you know, for instance, someone may have uh, 20, uh, 20 people that they're thinking about as their support network. Well, out of, that out of those 20 people, you want to identify, you know, who's number one, who's number two, who's number three. Um, you know, you want to see who, um, whom you could uh, give responsibility and, and delegate 
uh, responsibility. Uh, so you, you want to really think that out. Um, it's good to have the support. I mean, that's the first thing, to have the support network. Now, if there isn't any support network, um, again, you know, you can always call Cancer Care. We do offer, as I indicated, an array of uh, support services. And there are a lot of supportive resources out there. Uh, there's the, as I indicated, the American Cancer Society is a good one. Uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society offers financial assistance, but they also offer uh, emotional support. They offer peer support. There's Cancer Hope Network um, offers peer support. Um, so there are a lot of uh, resources out there if you don't have the support, meaning family, uh, friends, etc. There are supportive networks out there um, to whom you can reach out. Uh, but the first thing is really to um, identify, my suggestion would be to you know, identify who your support system is and then take it from there. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's very helpful. And, and I remind you to everybody that all of the collaborating organizations here are also resources for you, as Glenn has indicated, to help you build a support network and to get the support you need. Um, okay. Now, I, we, I know Gloria had some more questions, so why don't we bring her back on if she's still there, and uh, we'll take perhaps two more questions from Gloria as well. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, please press star, then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Our next question comes from Gloria L. Your line is now open. Hi, Gloria. Yes. We have two more questions. <laughs> I want to do some follow-up more. I probably would, this would be going towards the pharmacist about food and stuff. I have liver disease, and one of the things that I was told was that there are certain herbs that I could not take with my dysentinib because of me having liver disease, and I was told pomegranate, and I was also told lemon. And then uh, milk thistle, which is an herb, and a lot of other herbs that I was not allowed to take anymore. And I just wanted to double-check and see if that is true. Well, thank you very much, Gloria, for that question. Thank you. And um, Dr. Thompson, could you address that? Absolutely. Happy to. Um, so my approach to herbs in general with medications, and especially with chemotherapy, is I think of a few major questions. My first question is, is this medicine going to affect how well your cancer treatment is potentially working? Um, because if the answer to that is yes, then absolutely I would recommend not to take an herb or to avoid an herb in that situation. And pomegranate actually can affect how, some, how well some chemotherapy drugs work and how well some CML treatments work. Um, so that's one that I would avoid for those reasons. Um, the next thing that I want to think about is, is this herb going to potentially cause any harm to, harm to the person that's taking it? Um, and, you know, certain herbs have, you know, the, as we know, the amounts of studies looking at different herbs and things aren't quite as robust as most of your doctors and pharmacists would like. Um, but really what I'm looking for there, is there any documented evidence that this herb could potentially hurt someone? Um, and in patients that have cancer that have taken milk thistle, there is a little bit of data to suggest that it could be harmful for someone. Um, that's getting treated for their cancer and is taking milk thistle. So that's one that I always recommend to my patients to avoid. Um, and then my last question I ask, I ask myself before I give the okay on an herb is, um, 
is there any risk that this could kind of confuse the picture? So if maybe you already had liver disease and looking at maybe taking a supplement that affected your liver or that affected your white count, whenever that's something that we're following to monitor your cancer, um, then I would avoid it there too because sometimes you say, oh, the white count's elevated. Is it because of the cancer? Is it because of the cancer treatment? Or is it because of this herb that we started in? Sometimes that can make it hard to shift out. Um, so absolutely like you're, you did, it sounds like, always check with your doctors about, you know, what's okay to take, what's not okay to take. And, I mean, those are kind of the major things that I consider when I'm looking at. Is it okay to take an herb or a supplement or not? And perhaps I might add, oh, please, you know, yeah. if you look at that, in particular, I think it's helpful to recognize that all of those things are medicines. So although herbs are, are, are natural, they, one, they, they truly are medicines, and some, just like medicines that have been developed through the pharmaceutical industry or others, you know, there can be positive and negative effects, you know, and with medications, in general, I think it's important not to do more than one thing at a time so that if there is a negative effect, then you know what caused it. So in particular, if you've started on a medicine for your CML, I would not at the same time also start an herb at the exact same time uh, as part of that. I mean, I can say as well, do we know that there is a specific herb or supplement that is needed in patients with chronic myeloid leukemia? And the answer to that, I, I would have to say, in all honesty at this point, is really no. Uh, the, uh, it's a disease in which now we have six incredibly effective therapies. There are a lot of herbs uh, that can have a variety of benefits, but uh, in, for a chronic leukemia such as this very specifically, there really is not one that has been specifically shown to really impact this disease. Many of them have somewhat broad claims they improve immunity, quote-unquote, they improve your white cells. Uh, but really, I, I would, uh, particularly in a disease like this, where we have such effective therapies, uh, I, I don't think anyone feels, really should feel the, the compulsion that they have to take any sort of herb. You know, I'd say as an oncologist, I'm, I'm very open to complementary and alternative medicines. Uh, but I truly think they have probably the greatest case in diseases in which we do not have many effective therapies. I mean, if I don't have a great therapy for a disease, I certainly do not criticize anything a patient wishes to take. But when you have a disease like this where you really have an incredible bench of resources against the disease, it probably is not prudent to, uh, to really mess with the uh, effectiveness of of drugs that have been uh, really quite effective. Excellent. Well, I want to thank. If, if I may interject. Yes. Please. Yes. If I may interject too, uh, for those of you who you know want to research this further, um, I just want to provide a resource that might be helpful uh, in this endeavor. Um, it's called the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Uh, that's NCCAM. And their website is HTT, as in Tom, P as in Peter, colon, backhand slash, backhand slash, N as in Nancy, C as in Cat, C as in Charlie, A, M as in Nancy, dot, N as in Nancy, I, H, dot, gov, G-O-V. Thank you, and actually that is part of the National Cancer Institute, so you have that information also in your materials. Uh, you can actually call the information specialists 
um, uh, and, or you can visit their website, www.cancer.gov, or you can call their information specialist at 1-800-THE-NUMBER-4-CANCER. So there's lots of resources for you to get information. I really want to thank our speakers today. You've all been terrific. This has been an extraordinary call. We've covered a lot of critically important issues, and I hope you're leaving the call with lots of information that you can use and take back to your treating healthcare team and continue that discussion. I want to remind you that this is a one-hour program, and that in planning a program like this, um, we uh, recognize that you have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one hour, and our extraordinary speakers and all of the wonderful questions you asked probably help with some of the issues that you're confronting, but probably not everything. And so we do want you to know that you have access to the staff of Cancer Care, and we're available endlessly after the call ends. And our, our uh, toll-free number is one 800 813-4673. Please don't hesitate to call for all the services that we offer. They're all free, both the practical and financial assistance, as well as the counseling services and the informational uh, materials that we offer as well. Remember, there is another part to this. We have a part three on May 22nd, and I really invite all of you to participate in that program as well. Um, this is a four-part series, and this one is actually a continuation. I can't remember to take my pills on time, help, a practical guide to follow. So again, continuing with this effort to help with remembering to take one's medications, which help you with both your CML medications and others that you may be taking. So again, I want to thank you all for participating today, and most importantly, as we conclude, we don't want anyone to think that you're alone in coping with CML or cancer. We want you to know that you're part of the community of support, and you can contact Cancer Care at any time. I want to wish you all a very fine day, and thank you all for your participation. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may disconnect. Everyone have a wonderful day.